Before we open up God's word and explore what he's got to say to us today, let's just spend some time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to open our hearts and open our voices in worship to you. Father, thank you for the truth that is captured in those scriptures and in those songs. Thank you, Lord, that we are reminded that you've given us so much. You've blessed us in so many ways. Our only response can be to call out to you in worship, to acknowledge you as our Lord and as our Saviour. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him into the world. We thank you that later on in this service, we're going to have the opportunity to come together and share communion as a fellowship of your people. And Lord, we thank you for the world that you've created for us. As we look around us and and see the, the warmth of the sun nurturing new life, as buds bloom and blossoms start to show themselves, Father, we thank you for new life. We thank you for the Easter season that we're approaching. And we thank you for everything that means to us, Lord. We thank you that that means, that reminds us of the truth that you are with us through your Holy Spirit. You are just as living and active as you have ever been. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you will fill our hearts, fill our homes, fill our lives with your Holy Spirit. Bless us and speak to us individually as we receive from you through your word. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sermon title this morning is Faith Over the Fear of Frustration. Now, I'm sure that many of you can very quickly conjure up the things that bring frustration into your life. I was going to start with anecdotes about things that have frustrated me or frustrations that I've seen being played out in life. But I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, right at the start of this sermon, I just encourage you to take a few moments, pause the video if you like, but you might not choose to, to think of one or two things that really frustrate you in life. For me, it would be sitting in traffic. I hate sitting in traffic because normally it means that I'm late for something. And I sit there getting impatient, waiting. It's a frustration of mine. Some of you will identify with that. Others will think of other things that frustrate you. Frustration is something that affects everybody in one way, shape or form. But this morning I'd like us to think about frustration and how we deal with it. But also frustration and how we can cause it. Not just to other people, but also to God how we can frustrate God and how we need to make sure that we live our lives in a way that stops us from frustrating God. Not not just as a characteristic, but also by stopping some of the plans that he wants to put in place. We're going to have a look at some scriptures that explain what I mean by that and work through it together. But to begin with, frustration is an emotional response it's the, it's the name we give to the build-up of, of dissatisfaction when we're sitting in a traffic jam or when someone's doing something that just really irritates us or when something's not being done when someone said they'd do it or it's not being done the way that we think is right. 
Frustration happens when we don't get our, our own way, when something upsets or annoys us because we cannot achieve what we set out to achieve. And frustration is the thing that, that slowly builds up. It's the pressure that builds up and up and up inside us until eventually, boom, we lose control. We lash out. And when we lash out, frustration takes the form of anger or spite or sarcasm or petulance or cynicism or any one of a number of other negative emotions that are not pretty. When I preached on faith over the fear of doubt a couple of weeks ago, I said how how doubts are often arrows fired at us, which are pretty innocuous. They're very subtle. They don't appear to be threatening and dangerous, but then they start eating away at us. And before we know it, they've got a foothold in our minds and they begin to to decay our faith. Well, frustration can do a similar thing. We all like to think that we're above frustration. We all like to think that we can cope with it, that things don't really get to us. But actually, for many of us, things do get to us. At some point in our lives, every one of us will have allowed something to get under our skin when we really shouldn't. But when we allow frustration to boil over, we allow Satan to take a foothold. We begin focusing on a negative emotion and allowing that to dominate our our lives rather than allowing anything godly to dominate our lives. We allow God to be pushed to one side as anger flows and takes us over. Now, in Galatians Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes... Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so... If we allow frustration to build up inside us, this negative emotion, this pressure to build up and up and up until eventually we cannot hold it anymore and it goes boom. If we don't have any other way of of releasing that pressure, then what comes out of us is something that prevents us from doing good. Paul says, do not weary in doing good. Now, Paul is someone who was well aware of the frustrations of life, the frustrations of talking to people who simply would not accept your perspective, frustrations of of going into town after town and sometimes having to flee for your life because people rejected the message, the good news of salvation that you brought, even though what you were trying to do, you knew, was for the best for them. Paul had been shipwrecked. He had been scuppered many, many times in his missional journeys. He knew what it was to be frustrated. But he says to the Galatians, let us not become weary of doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Paul was always on the lookout for opportunity. He was always on the lookout for ways in which he could engage with with the people that he met to talk to them about the gospel. He was no stranger to frustration, but he was also no stranger to doing good all the time. In the book of Proverbs, we read Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
that's a difficult thing to do, to trust in the Lord and not in our own understanding. You see, frustration often comes at a time when we are trying to understand the world around us or the people around us. And we can't quite understand why people are doing what they're doing, saying what they're saying, acting the way that they're acting. We can't quite understand why our own limitations are preventing us from achieving what we want to achieve. Sometimes we can frustrate ourselves, sometimes others do it for us. And as we seek to understand what's going on, we we look inside ourselves. We turn to our own understanding. Very often we make the mistake of not stepping back and saying, Lord, this is really bothering me. So, Father, please help me in this. Please give me the patience, the humility to accept what I'm struggling to accept. And please relieve this pressure of frustration that is building up inside me. God has a plan for each one of us. We know this. And if we call out to him and ask him to reveal it to us, then then bit by bit, step by step, he, he slowly, slowly reveals that path. But for an awful lot of us, we want to plan our own path. We want to go our own way and forge our own, plough our own furrow, forge our own way through life. We want to prosper in the way that we think is best. We don't always follow the path that God wants us to follow. Now, frustration can be, the word frustration can mean two different things. It can mean what I've already talked about, the, the, the feeling, the emotion that we get when something doesn't go our way. We feel upset, we feel annoyed, things really get under our skin and eventually it comes out as a, a negative, ugly emotion. And people look at us and see us failing to deal with our emotion. But the other aspect of frustration is we can frustrate someone's plans. Sometimes the word frustration can be used to mean thwart or stop or prevent happening. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. What we're going to look at briefly this morning before we come to communion is an example of where mankind thwarted God's plans. Now, this isn't to say that God couldn't have done anything about it. Of course he could. But God gives us free will. God yearns for us to follow his way. But he also accepts that sometimes we choose not to. In this passage, we see just that happening. The people of Israel up to this point have been ruled by God. God has appointed prophets, judges, high priests, chief priests. He gave the law to Moses and he's always used individuals to pass on his his commands to people. But the authority, the power that the Israelites have always been under has been the authority and the power of God. And the reason for this is because God knows what's best for us. He knew that the best thing for his people were was to be led directly by him. And so he used to speak through the the prophets, the judges, the high priests, but it was always his words that were passed on. But in this passage, we see Samuel. Samuel is becoming an old man. And just like Eli before him, Samuel has got to the point where it's time to pass on the reins. And he's thought that he's going to pass on his his role to his sons so that the idea of a dynasty of a royal family had already begun to creep into the the Israelite psyche 
But just like Eli before him, Samuel's sons had turned away from God. They had sinned. They hadn't acted in a godly way that, that, and that, that prevented them from taking on Samuel's role. And so the elders of Israel go to Samuel <clears throat> and they say to him, you are old. Charming, isn't it? You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. So the Israelite elders say to Samuel, you're, you're too old to do this anymore and your sons are no good. Your sons aren't going to be able to do the job you're doing. So give us a king. Now, those of you who know your, your Old Testament, your, your, your Pentateuch, will know that in Deuteronomy 17, it sets out, um, God sets out when he's giving the law to Moses, a passage that talks about royal authority. And it talks quite clearly about the role of a king for Israel. So it's not that God didn't want Israel to ever have a king. It's that God wanted Israel to have a king at the right time. This wasn't the right time. And so, and Samuel knew that. And so Samuel speaks to God and God says to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. God's saying, Samuel, look, I know they've called you old. I know they've said your sons are no good, but actually this isn't about you. This is about my people rejecting me. I've been their leader. I've been their king, but they don't want me anymore. They've done this from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. And now they're doing the same to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. God says, this is not my best for them, but you need to let them know that if we go ahead with this, if I, if I allow this to happen, then they've got to know what they're letting themselves in for. You see, as a king, God has given, given, given to the Israelites. He's given them their freedom. He's given them their food, their water. He's given them their land. He's given them everything that they have. He's given them protection. He's given them victory in battle. He's given them the Ark of the Covenant. God tells Samuel what's going to happen if the Israelites appoint a king at this stage. There's no more give, give, give. Instead, it becomes take, take, take. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage wine. He will take your men servants and maid servants. He will take a tenth of your flocks and your livestock and you yourself will become his slaves. I've paraphrased a longer passage there, but six times in that passage, God has told Samuel what will be taken away from the Israelites. And the first, it's, it starts with, it will take away your sons and your daughters. In other words, your families will be disrupted. Your whole social fabric will be, will be ripped away. Everything will change. Everything will be different. This is not good for you. This is not the right time. You will lose your wealth. You will lose your status. You will lose everything that you have. 
this isn't good for you. I'm telling you this because I love you, not because I'm a selfish God and I want to I want to be the one to reign over you. It's not that. It's that I know what's best for you. And I want what is best for you. He'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. He'll take your property. He'll take your wealth. He'll take your servants. He'll take your livestock. And eventually you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us into battle and go out before us to lead the fight. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he told the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Now, imagine the frustration that God must have felt at that time. He's got a plan for mankind. He's always had a plan for mankind. And and right back in the Garden of Eden, it all went wrong because of mankind's disobedience. And God's trying to get us back on track and, and he, he's been leading his people. He's been, given these very, he's been giving these very clear commands to his people. But his people have got fed up. They've been on the battlefield and they've seen other nations with their kings leading armies into battle. And they thought, that looks pretty good. We've got an invisible God. No one knows he's there. We want a king. We want someone to lead us in battle. Someone impressive and majestic. And so they completely ignore the warnings that God gives them. How frustrating, how frustrated must God have felt at that point? This is wrong for you. I've told you this is wrong. This is not good. I will give you a king. It will come, but not now. Despite the warning, God's people choose to disobey God's will. They choose to demand a king. And so God honours that and gives them a king. What happens next is that Saul, King Saul, is appointed, anointed. And then comes David. You see, Saul Saul reigned for 40 years, or 42 years to be precise. Then David took the throne. He was anointed and he reigned for 40 years as well. David's son, Solomon, followed David. And he reigned for another 40 years. So we're now 120 years past the events that we've just spoken about. And Solomon was known not just for his wisdom that many of us will will be familiar with, but also for his immense wealth. The temple, the palaces, the women. Solomon had it all. But the reason for that is because he taxed his people terribly. Now, when, when Solomon died... And his son, Rehoboam, took over. The people went to Rehoboam and said, your father put a massive yoke upon us. Your father gave us a huge burden. Please lift that burden. Please don't tax us anymore. Please lift some of these these sanctions and these taxes that we're having to pay because we just cannot afford it. We cannot afford to support this, this lifestyle that he demanded. And Rehoboam says... You think that was bad? <laughs> I'm going to increase your taxes. I'm going to demand more and more and more from you. He was a soft touch compared with me. You think that was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. And on that day, people cried out to God. 
Imagine God's frustration when 120 or more years after that initial conversation they had with Samuel and with the people of Israel, when he'd warned them and warned them and warned them of everything that would be taken away and all the, the, the taxes that they'd have to, have to be, a, um, be obedient to, he's suddenly faced with a generation who have forgotten about all that, a generation who, who were nothing to do with those decisions, who are probably looking at each other saying, where's God in all this? Why are you letting this happen? Come on, do something. But God doesn't break his promises. And he said quite clearly to his people, look, one day you're going to be calling out to me and I'm not going to answer. That's the price you're going to have to pay. Sometimes we today, in our frustration, call out to God. Sometimes we, we say, Lord, there's a really obvious and clear solution to this. And you can make things happen. We say you're a God who can do anything. Well, come on, do it. Now's the time. Why aren't you? And of course, what we find in our frustration is it's very easy to blame God. It's very easy to point the finger and say, well, God's not doing anything. Is he there? What we don't do is, is look back and know whether... What's happening to us now is a consequence of decisions, poor decisions that have been made a generation ago or a hundred years ago or more. We don't look back and see the damage that's been done when people have disobeyed God's will. And sometimes we don't even look at our own decisions and think forward. How can, if we, if we allow our frustrations to get the better of us, then we'll end up lashing out and ruining relationships and preventing people coming to Christ. In other words, we can frustrate God's plans through our own actions by allowing our frustrations to get the better of us. We can frustrate God, just as the Israelites frustrated God all the way back in 1 Samuel. But of course, no matter how much we frustrate God in our life, he never gives up on us. You see, He sent his son into the world for us. He sent his son, Jesus, the saviour, Christ, the Lord, to help us with our frustrations. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to bring our frustrations to him. He invites us to share that with him. Now I know there are some people who are going through some some absolutely torrid experiences right now. There are some people who are saying, Tom, that's all very well, but my frustration, I'm I'm at breaking point. I'm going to lose my rag any day now because I just can't cope with what I'm going through. And you're absolutely right. You can't without Jesus. That's why Jesus invites us to come to him, to bring our frustrations to him. He knows what it is to be frustrated. He knows the frustration of the father at having that gap, that that chasm between him and his people. And that's why the father sent the son to bridge that gap. And that's what we're going to be remembering as the Easter time services take place. We're going to be looking back and reflecting upon God's sacrifice that he made in order to bring us back to him. Jesus invites us to come to him 
And one of the ways we can do that is, is by recognising in ourselves when our frustration builds and builds and builds and we're at that point where we just want to lash out or shout at someone. When we want to scornfully dismiss someone or, or make them feel that big because we're so frustrated. Well, that's the time that we turn to scripture. That's the time that we read these passages like when, uh, like we just have from 1 Samuel, when we remind ourselves that we are just as frustrating to God as anybody is to us. That there is no frustration in the world that is bigger than a frustration that God must feel at the way that we have treated him. And yet, what's his reaction? Does he belittle us? No. Does he lash out? No. Does he pour scorn upon us or, or give up on us? No. He loves us. That's the way to deal with frustration. Frustration is one of the most subtle tools that Satan uses to bring down the Christian. And the best thing the Christian can do is show love in the face of frustration. Is show love and grace and mercy and peace. It's to stay calm rather than lash out. It's to look to scripture and allow that to vent the pressure that's built up. To turn to God and spend time in prayer bringing to him all our worries, all our concerns, all our frustrations. And through that process, the pressure is released. The power that Satan has over us is completely taken away. And instead, frustration evaporates through the grace of God. You see, to finish up this morning, before we go into communion... The passage I started with from Galatians chapter 6, I started reading from verse 9, but I just want to jump back to verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So I just want to encourage you this morning to deal with your frustrations well, to turn to scripture, to turn to God and use that to release the pressure that frustration can build up. Because if we lash out and, and get angry with people, then all we're doing is sowing anger and aggression. We're sowing negativity and that's what we're going to reap. That's what we're going to see in the lives of the people around us that we desperately want to bring before God. We're just going to see anger and negativity. But if we sow seeds of faith, if we sow grace and humility and understanding and love, if we refuse to rise to the anger inside us and instead just let it go, then we will reap what we sow. And that will be a harvest that God is very pleased with. Elsewhere. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he speaks of the peace of God which transcends all understanding. That peace is the antidote to frustration. It's the peace that we don't understand but we feel when we're in God's presence. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
And that one who gives us the strength, the inner strength to overcome frustration, to overcome the, the, the anger that builds up inside us when things don't go the way that we want them to go. That's Jesus. That's God's son who he sent into this world to live amongst us, to teach us, to show us, to set us an example of how we should live, conduct ourselves. And then eventually, the one who went to the cross, who chose to go to the cross, not because he wanted to, but because he knew that that was the only way to reconcile us to the Father in heaven. He knew that, that was, he was the only one who could do that, to die on that cross. And he did that willingly. We're going to share together communion now, but before we do, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that when we feel frustration building up inside us, we don't need to hide it from you. We don't need to feel that it's something that we have to deal with on our own. But instead, it's something that we should turn to you and cry out for help. Lord, we know that you are a God who, who loves us. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can always turn to you. We can always turn to your word and find something in there to help us through whatever it is that we're going through. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for communion that we're about to share together. Father, we thank you for the bread and the wine that represent the body and the blood of Jesus and we thank you Lord as we share these elements together now that you're a God who, who, who loves us despite what we are Father please forgive us for our sin forgive us for all the time that we give in to frustration and negative emotion forgive us for all the times that we don't reap well that we don't sow well and end up being surprised that what we reap isn't what we hoped for. But Father, help us to remember this, this example of the frustration that, that you must feel sometimes when, when we don't do things according to your will. The frustration that you must feel. And help us to remember, Lord, that despite all the times that we cause you frustration, you never, ever give up on us. You never stop loving us. So bless us, we pray, Lord, as we share these elements together. Bless these elements to our body. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for all the sins that we have committed. And we thank you that because of this body and this blood, we are forgiven. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, please go and, if you haven't already got the communion elements, then maybe it's a good idea to pause the video now and go and grab them. But as we spend this time now sharing together communion, I just want us to bring before God all the things in life that frustrate us, all the things that we struggle to deal with, all the times that we know that... We don't react in a way that we should, in a way that would please God. Let's just take a, 
just a few seconds now to bring these things before God and ask him to help us to react well in future. And so having prepared our hearts, having brought before God the frustrations and the negative responses, all the sin that we bear, having brought them before him, confessed them to him, having asked for his forgiveness, we can now come before the communion table virtually and share together the body and the blood of Jesus represented by the bread and the wine that we will now share. And we remember that night in Jerusalem when Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the wine. And in front of his disciples, he poured, saying, this is my blood poured out for you. Now, of course, he wasn't speaking purely about his disciples. He was talking about all of mankind. That blood was spilt for us, just as much as the disciples, just as much as it will be for our children and children's children and so on and so forth, until that day comes when Jesus returns. So with hearts full of gratitude, let's drink together. Father God, thank you for this communion. Thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. Thank you that we can do this in remembrance of him. And thank you that we can always turn to you, no matter how wrong we get things in life, knowing that you never give up on us. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.